Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. I've been extremely, extremely busy um, in Cincinnati. I'm actually building a batting cage at my dad's house. It was a six-car garage, and we tore down uh, one of the cement walls that uh, blocked off um, the two sides. So the cage is going to be about 50 to 54 feet long. Wasn't anticipating it was going to be as much work as it has been. However, I'm starting to see you know, what it is going to look like in the future, um, and it's going to be pretty awesome. It really is. And I was just looking for a place that I could go to whenever I am back in town um, in the off season or whatever it may be, and just continuing to be able to work with players. So it's, it's nice to know that no matter what happens going forward, I'll always have a, a spot to go to. So it's, it's going to be pretty fun. I'll make sure to continually update everyone and, and post some videos and things like that on social media. On today's episode, we have Chris Fetter. Chris is currently the associate head coach and pitching coach at the University of Michigan. Uh, prior to Michigan, he was the pitching coordinator for the Dodgers. And before that, he was actually back in college baseball as the pitching coach at Ball State University. So he's been in professional baseball as a coach. He's been in college baseball prior as a coach as well. So he's able to bring in some I'm pretty unique, a pretty unique perspective to his athletes um, in this episode. And he really does talk a little bit about what he's learned, the trial and error of utilizing technology, what they do at the University of Michigan. And one of the cool things that they are going to have access to at the University of Michigan is going to be markerless motion capture. They're going to be one of the first um, college programs or maybe the first college program with um, markerless motion capture. So uh, he he can't get too much into exactly uh, what that's going to look like, but he he definitely does mention it in this episode. And so I'm I'm pretty – Pretty optimistic for the future of Michigan after after listening to Chris talk about what they do at, um, in their program. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is Chris Fetter. All right, Chris, uh, appreciate you coming on the show today, man. Yeah, thank you for having me, Patrick. Uh, looking forward to it. So we have a, a wide range of listeners, you know, high school, college, youth, professional coaches, and even parents as well. Can you just tell everyone a little bit of your story and background? Yeah, so, you know, spent my college playing days at, at the University of Michigan and had a, had a longer career than probably most. Most would like to go to college for three years, go off to professional baseball, but needed a lot of work my freshman year, so registered my freshman year and uh, spent... Uh, the next three years, a part of great teams, won three um, straight Big Ten championships. And got the chance, you know, when I was there by fifth year to go off and play professional baseball at the Potters organization. So I uh, got drafted by them. And after a few arm surgeries, I was kind of told in spring training of 2000, oh, God, let's see now, 13, that probably wasn't looking good on the playing side of things. But if I'd like to stay on board as a coach, you know, you could have that opportunity. So I got the chance to around some really bright minds coaching in double a that year and learned from, from a lot of great people and was fortunate enough to then uh, get sent to scout school and go into some scouting and scouted for a couple years on the pro side with the with the angels 
and then got married and got the chance to go back and coach at the college level at Ball State back where I was uh, near where I was born in Indiana and kind of through people in the game got the chance to go off and work in the Dodgers player development side and then now I'm at Michigan so it's kind of been you know a quick quick ride but it all kind of leads back to uh, the place where I ultimately uh, wanted to be for the long term and that's the University of Michigan. So you've been at, you know, in professional baseball and, you know, coaching in college. What, obviously, you know, you, you like college better. You're at Michigan right now. Um, but what was it like being the pitching coordinator for the Dodgers? And, and I shouldn't say I, I, I definitely love college better. I think, I think they're just two different games that they're, they're pros and cons to, to both of them. But I think, you know, being able to work with college age kids and, um, you know, get to not only develop them on the field, but in their personalities and uh, growing into men, it's, it's, uh, it's a great honor. But, um, you know, I had the distinct privilege of uh, working with the Dodgers for a year and working under a lot of brighter minds than myself and getting to steal a lot of their ideas. But that was a um, an unbelievable experience. Talk about going zero to 100 in terms of just the, the knowledge base and, and the people you get to work with day in, day out that are, you know, on the cutting edge of the game. So um, from a personal experience, it was, you know, I, I learned more. It was almost like grad school. Learned, learned so much in that year. But then just seeing how they go about their player development and bring the players involved into their their own development, it was it's a unique culture. And I think you're going to continue to see them, you know, at the, at the top of the game just because of you know, how they're developing players. What uh, what specifically like are a couple examples of of what you learned that year? Oh, just I would say you know kind of had a broad broad knowledge of some of the analytical stuff and some of the technology that was out there, but it was like going from a, a 101 course to a, a 401 501 type level course, and just in terms of the minds got to be around. And the cool thing about the Dodgers uh, at the time, we were we, we weren't scared of making mistakes. We weren't scared of trying new things, trying new technologies, and uh, really becoming experts at a lot of different facets. And, you know, you, when you're, you're in that environment and you're able to, you're, you're, you know, made to go out and try things and sometimes everything's not going to work, I think that's where you learn a, a lot. It's not just, you know, understanding what the technology tells you, but it's also going out there and experimenting with it and seeing what works and what doesn't. And that's where you start to develop a base of, of knowledge and application and, and that's ultimately where we want to get to as coaches did you uh did you get pretty good at spanish i did not I, that's uh <laughs> you know doing it was uh was big on all of our phones especially when we were down in dominican uh carson vitale was i think he is now the he's on the major league staff of the mariners but he was in charge of our uh our latin american uh side of things with uh the dodgers and you know, he made it a point that all the coaches whether you were Spanish-speaking, English-speaking, spent an hour every morning when you're in the Dominican after, after meetings working on your, your skills with the other language, but was able to be able to relay some things on the mounds, but no, I would not say that I'm, I'm fluent by any means. So did you rove that year as the coordinator through all the affiliates, or were you mainly lower levels, or where were you at? So we kind of split up the duties between a, kind of a whole department. In terms of yes, I was I was roving around to all the affiliates. Would spend a week or ten days down in Dominican at a time. So I was down there I think three times, and then you would hit every affiliate. 
you know, you try to get there at least once a month. And then once we broke off into the short season leagues, you know, you were, you had a lot more teams to cover and, you know, with being a West coast team, say you're, you're in the Dominican, that's a, that's a four hour time difference. So, you know, you get up there at, at 5 AM for a 6:30 meeting, and then you're pretty much staying up until close to two, three o'clock in the morning, trying to make moves throughout all the affiliates and seeing what's going on on the West coast in LA. So it's, it can be a little daunting, but uh, that's where I think we did a great job separating it between multiple people. And, you know, we, when I talk about a whole department, we had two biomechanists in there that, you know, have their PhDs and, and what the arm and body does. So, like, we had, we had all different minds kind of working together to try and uh, create the best pitching department possible. Yeah, that's that sounds pretty neat. I mean, to have all those resources um, at your fingertips. Now, are you were you able to take kind of some of that the stuff you were doing with the Dodgers in terms of the technology and analytics and apply it at Michigan because I'm sure that you know the Dodgers budget is a little bit different than Michigan's budget oh it, it's definitely a different budget but uh, that's where I will say that you know coach Backett and the University of Michigan have, have been great they you know are fully invested in you know turning over every stone to uh, try and get the cutting edge you know of what's going on in the real world and player development so our first year, we were able to get more like tracking devices for for a cage type setting um, between hit tracks and Rapsodo. So we had those for bullpens and for batted ball data. And then year two, we were able to install our TrackMan uh, for the in-game stuff. And it's great to have your, your bullpen data or your batted ball data and your your batting practice. But at the same time, a lot of the times it's it's completely different when we get into a game. And so you know, from year one to year two, and that was last year having the track man. It was it was outstanding. And then and going forward, we're we're going to be one of the first college teams to have uh, you know markless motion capture on our field, uh, not only on our field but in our hitting and pitching facilities. So that'll be kind of a a neat little tool that will help us you know get some of that biomechanical data that we're starting to dig into now. You know, when it matters most again when we're on the field. What company are you guys using? I'm not going to say. Just yet, there there's different companies out there, but this one is specifically for baseball. So, um, you know, but uh, very very excited to get them on board here. You know, and before before this, it was kind of green lighting. So now I have to try and see what happens after the pandemic if if that's going to still be a possibility. But that was definitely in the plans before, and so hopefully that's still there because uh, at the end of the day, we want to do what's best for our student athletes and and keep developing them, keep you know acclimating to what they're going to be be shown at the professional level hopefully that uh, learning curve is uh, a lot shorter and they can uh, hit the ground running uh, you were saying earlier that you uh, there are some differences you know obviously which makes sense from if a pitcher's thrown in the bullpen versus you know in the game on track man what uh, are there any common traits that you'll see from pitchers like just looking at kind of their data in the bullpen versus in the game yeah, I think in a bullpen we can have we can try and make it as game like as possible, but it's it's a lot more of a controlled setting. And you know when you have a rap soda there and you're specifically working on a certain pitch and you're able to feel it right away, it's a lot easier to look back at the screen and say, yeah, there it was again. Yeah, there it was again. I'm able to repeat a lot easier. When you get a, a batter in there from you know an opponent that's different than your jersey, I think a lot of times we can get that competitive nature in us and you know we can maybe overextend our delivery and our stride and then our arms late and we're not able to pull down our breaking ball the same or 
maybe we start to, to fly open with our front side and, and cause our fastball to go um, high on our side. So that there are things that, you know, when you get a batter from another team in there and the competitive juices start flowing, uh, things can change. And, you know, as we're releasing the ball with a little more effort, maybe we're getting behind the ball a little bit more. So what we think we have a, a two seam in, in bullpens, maybe it starts to trend more towards four seam type action in the game. So there are all kinds of different things that, that can happen. And that's where the in-game data is, is so valuable to know mm-hmm. actually who these guys are when someone else sits in there. Yeah. How, and this is like the magic question, right? Is, is how do you get those guys if they are overstriding or trying too hard, how do you get them to, you know, slow it, slow it down, slow the game down? That's, that's where the, the mental side comes in. And that's a, an area that we've tried to take a massive step forward, you know, not only in, making our bullpens as competitive as possible, but also introducing our guys to meditation techniques and um, a lot of Alan Jager's teachings. He's be, become a really close friend of uh, ours and the programs and has been instrumental in helping our guys take the next step into realizing when, you know, their thoughts are starting to spiral and they're getting out of control of their, their mind and their, in their process. And, you know, just implementing a lot of those strategies into our practice has been, has been critical. Yeah, Alan's awesome. I, I, we've had him on the show, and I, I talk to him regularly, and he's such a selfless guy. Really love all the stuff he's doing for the game. Now he's big into long toss as well. So, are you guys? Do you guys implement a lot of long toss, or is it a little bit different throwing program? No, we we absolutely do. We absolutely do, and you know, that was one of the things that we found with the Dodgers. The guys that we we had a you know a, a weighted ball program at the time. We had a company that's out there in Washington come in and uh, do their weighted ball program with us. And then strength conditioning staff and training staff kind of went through drivelines program and kind of updated it to what, what they thought would be a little more healthy in terms of the volume and, and some of the movements, some of the drills. And when we started running that version of the program, the guys that we saw attack the long toss were ultimately the guys that at the end of the day, made the biggest leaps, the biggest jumps, not only in terms of velocity gains or, or spin rate gains, but also uh, in terms of their overall health. And so that combined with just talking with Alan has kind of been a no-brainer for us to implement a lot of long toss in our program. I think it, it makes sense if, you know, you being like the pitching coach, you obviously are going to oversee the pitchers and their throwing program. But what about the position players as well? Like, do you have them, do you oversee at all at their throwing program or recommend anything to them? Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we, we collaborate as a staff and, um, you know, Eric has asked for different, different ideas in terms of what they can be doing before they ever pick up a baseball. Um, so when it comes to, uh, like a pre-throwing routine, they'll do a lot of the same exercises and drills that are, that our pitchers are doing before they ever touch the baseball. And then from there, they'll incorporate a certain amount of long toss days throughout their week, usually depending upon what they have coming up in their practice plan. If it's a day where we're doing a lot of square drills or in and out and a lot of throws, it may be lighter in terms of long toss. But if there's a day where it's going to be lighter in terms of the total throws and, and train, then we'll, we'll try and incorporate some long toss in those days. Gotcha. That makes sense. In terms of like actual pitches for each pitcher, are you big into having them like experiment more in the fall and like recommending different pitch grips and things like that? Or do you just let them be like, how do you go about different pitches that they throw? Yeah, that's a great question. And a lot of the time it comes back to first making sure that, you know, pitch design is becoming this, this huge 
buzzword in the game and, and rightfully so there, there's a lot of good things that come from that but at the end of the day we have to make sure steps one through six in terms of you know how's our body moving do we have the ideal amount of strength are we repeating our delivery you know what's our kinematic sequence as we're going down the mile these kind of things and if those aren't ironed out going straight to pitch design gets a little crazy because as you're working with guys in the deliveries release points are going to change their ability to accelerate through the baseball is going to change but if we're going strictly to, to the pitch design or that sort of thing, when it comes in, we're going to look at, first and foremost, what, what does his fastball do? What is his primary pitch that he's going to throw most often or at least 50% of the time? What does that pitch do? And then from there, most of the time, guys come in with two different forms of breaking balls. We'll try and, whatever it's a riding four-seam fastball, you know, he has a curveball, we'll try and tighten up that curveball. Same thing with the, the sinker slider type guy. If he's showing certain characteristics that we believe make him a sinker fastball guy, we'll try and look towards a towards a slider and, and a change up with depth as well. So it always starts with the fastball, the primary pitch, and, and if they have both, uh, great. That's great for them. Um, but usually, most of the time, guys, there's there's some tinkering we need to do with the fastball, even to make sure they're either, they're behind it or they're getting the proper axis to get the right movement. So. But yeah, it, it always comes back to the fastball, their primary pitch. What if what if their primary pitch? I mean, do you give them an option if their primary pitch isn't as like a slider or off speed pitch? Because I feel like I've seen you see a lot more off speed pitches are being thrown these days. Yeah, no question, and and that's something that we'll we'll come up with uh, over time. Um, I think you know we're not going out and looking for you know high leverage relievers when we're out recruiting. I think a lot of the time when you're looking at a high school kid, most of the kids you're going after are in a starting rotation and. Um, I've been told their whole life to, to work with their fastball and, and until the hitters adjust. So we're getting a lot of guys that have come in with 70, 80% fastball heavy usage rates. So it'd be kind of silly to just say, Oh, that guy has a, you know, a great slider. It's an elite slider. And we're sure. going to throw that 70% of the time, but those kind of things work themselves out as guys, you know, start getting into roles later on. But yeah, you're absolutely right. There are guys that it'd be silly if that's, their best pitch and they're getting extreme weak contact and terrible woba against like it'd be silly to not go with that pitch uh predominantly but mm-hmm. you know that, those kind of things iron themselves out over a kid's you know development path and it, i'd be doing a kid a disservice to tell them at 18 years old you're gonna throw 90 percent sliders right so. right yeah no i think and i think pitching is so similar to hitting in several regards and you know actually this year i was down in spring training and actually was th- mixing pitches throwing different pitches and i reason I bring that up is is it's so similar in terms of feel is so important and I remember talking to Bronson Arroyo about this um, when he was on the podcast and he was talking about how for him he would is very big was very big into tossing and experimenting with different pitch grips and types just when he was just tossing just flat ground work um, and I know flat yeah. like, throwing flat grounds I feel like you know has gotten some negative talk about it lately but is there any value in, in still doing some flat ground work just to work on feel? I think so. I think as many times as you need guys out of their natural comfort zone and just and just make them be athletes, I think at the end of the day, that's that's what helps develop that feel. That's what helps guys get a you know acclimated to their body and what their body's doing. So if it's you know, I don't, I don't need your flat ground work to be at a hundred percent effort. You know, most of the time it's going to be one of your pitchers on the receiving end with their pitching glove. It's so why would I want you to throw a hundred percent, but if we can do certain things to play with grips or work on driving a ball downhill, 
you know, you, you can do a lot of good things in a flat ground setting. And, and you know, I've seen the studies and based upon like the mode of sleeve and, and those kind of things. And, that, and those are great. But at the same time, like all with a grain of salt, like we, we can definitely get some valuable work in, in a flat ground setting. It doesn't have to be every day, but you know, if you can pick and choose days to really work on certain aspects of, of what you're doing at, at release or working on a new pitch. There's a lot of value to that. Speaking of uh, flat ground work and and Alan Jager um, earlier, what do you what are your thoughts on on throwing? Um, this has become something that I've seen and done with hitters to kind of feel the ground is to hit with um, without their shoes on. Is that a crazy idea for pitchers as well? Is it a crazy idea to throw without their shoes on? Yeah, to feel the ground more. No, I don't think it's a crazy idea at all. I think I would, I would you know, I'd rather them do what they're going to do in a, in a game setting. But there, there's a lot of things that you can fix, and in terms of guys' delivery, just to make sure his shoes actually fit correctly. You know, our guys come in in the fall and they, they do foot scans. You wouldn't believe how many guys have too wide a feet for some of the shoes, or, or too narrow the feet, and so their feet are either sliding around or they're uncomfortable. They don't know what the proper shoe size is. They have disparities between one foot to the other. So there, there are a lot of things there that, you know, if, if my dry foot shoe isn't tight, and I'm losing a lot of ground force just right there. Or, you know, start sliding around in, in my delivery right there from the start. So the rest of my delivery is just playing catch-up. Yeah, that's um, a great point. Yeah, we haven't, we, <laughs> we haven't really dove into, like, throwing without shoes on, but I, <laughs> I can see why uh, Alan would recommend that for sure. Maybe I don't want to throw Alan under the bus there, but maybe I'm just, I've seen it in hitting. I thought he could maybe would have said that. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, in terms of, uh, you know, kind of going forward and not just, you know, throwing flat grounds and doing barefoot training and things like that, but what else would you say in the fall? Because I feel like that's when, a better time to experiment with things. What other yeah. uh, pr- uh, things do you incorporate in the fall to kind of help the pitchers develop? We're, we're fortunate I'm at the University of Michigan to have a great school of engineering, a great school of kinesiology with engineers that have developed these accelerometers that we can strap on our guys. And even though there's not a, a K-vest for pitching just yet, it's still kind of in beta, but we can get a lot of that same data and make sure that our guys are, are uti- utilizing their bodies correctly as, as they go down the mount. You know, in terms of where they're getting their most hip shoulder separation, are they actually accelerating in their hips before their torso? Where in the delivery do they get that hip that hip shoulder separation? So there, there are a lot of things we can do from a biomechanics standpoint right now, presently, before we get the markerless motion capture in there. So very fortunate there. So we kind of try and iron out their deliveries there. But I think the the biggest uh, breakthrough that we've had is being able to shut guys down in the fall and just have them focus on their strengths and some of their explosiveness in terms of like plyometrics, really, really attacking the weight room with our, our great strength coach. And we did that with our three starters last year and we started building up on a slow ramp in October. And that way when, you know, in the preseason, we're not trying to rush that where we've already had two outings at, you know, 60 pitches, two outings at 75 pitches, two outings at 90 pitches before we ever even get off the game. So, um, and that's a lot of time that you get with your pitchers when you're in those outings that, you know, normally coaches don't get. And we're, we're very fortunate for that. Yeah. And going back to your point about using 3D motion capture, I know, like you said, KVS isn't out with theirs yet, but 
How have yep. you made changes to uh, someone's delivery um, by using that type of technology? Because I feel like it's very, very tough. I know at least from a hitter's perspective, but maybe I was wondering if it's so different from pitching because you control the movement versus hitting's reactionary. Yeah, I think it's it's the great thing between pitching and, and hitting. I'm so glad I'm not a hitting coach. You know, it's not like a, a golf where that, that ball is on a, on a perfectly stable tee. There's so many adjustments you have to make when you get into the visualization. Uh, you know, all, all the different kinds of aspects of training of hitting. I, I can't imagine you guys are a much much better breed than us pitching coaches. But yeah, from a pitching standpoint, there are a lot of things you can look into in terms of uh, how how a guy decelerates his hips. I think almost the deceleration process of it is even greater than how, how fast they accelerate. So there, there's some, a lot of med ball drills. We can get them on the mound and, and utilize those kind of throws where they're not actually making pitches, but there, there are a lot of things you can do with the med ball and uh, going up the ramp, going down the ramp, just, just a lot of variations you can do to re- really focus on that. Um, a lot of it gets back to like some, some blocking drills, some anti-rotation drills, but really, we, we do a lot of focus on the deceleration. Being able to being able to stop your body is almost as valuable as being able to accelerate it. Mm-hmm. I think, for, well, well, just looking at kind of at your resume and, and being with the Dodgers as a coordinator and just kind of everywhere you've been, it seems like you have a or would have a really good grasp on helping pitchers prepare. Um, before a game, right? Kind of game planning. And I'm wondering, like, mm-hmm. how do you go about helping your guys kind of game plan um, before they go out on a mound, whether it's starting? And I know starting pitchers and relieving pitchers, it's a, you know, two different beasts. But let's just say for uh, hypothetically, it's just starting pitcher. I mean, do you have them like looking at video of the hitters or how do you go about kind of helping them game plan for that before their start? Yeah, I think initially you have to, you know, teach teach your your pitching staff how to actually watch video how to how to break down swings how to look at a guy's bad path or, or where his bat starts out um, when his front foot lands you know which is he even is he's open is he slightly open is he slightly closed we we can understand who we are to the greatest extent but if we don't know who we're facing at the end of the day it's like the the art of war like if you don't know who your opponent is, you're kind of going in there blind and you may win some, but you're going to lose just as many. So we definitely spend a lot of time breaking down how, how to ring swings, how to ring strides, how to read tempos of the batter. Does he get off balance to that front side? Um, is he, is he fairly balanced? You know, you know, where does bat start out? Where does it end when he goes to launch? A, a lot of different things. So we, we try and teach him that aspect in the fall. And then when we get into spring, you know, that, well, that stuff's ingrained, then we can really dissect the opposition and, and bring the stars involved the day of or, or, or the day before. We always do a, a pre-series of video scouting, and then we'll update as we see their hitters, see if they made adjustments from the video we had, that sort of thing going forward. So, you know, in, in the past, I've had starters come in and watch a video with me. A lot of the time, it's just our, our pre-series meeting where we're breaking down each hitter, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's good stuff. Do you guys help them with knowing like where to throw certain pitches at? I mean, I know you talked earlier about how you prefer guys to be kind of throw off their fastball. Do you prefer them to like go hard in to kind of set the set the stage for the the at bat or the game or kind of how do you go about that? Yeah, they're I'm not going to give you all the secrets, but yeah, there there are different um, different things in the college game that, that we can exploit. But at the end of the day. We want to 
you know, pitch to our strengths, but also know the hitter's weakness and try and find the, the biggest margin of error based upon those two factors. If, if our strength is, is their, is their strength, we'll, we'll, we'll go to our strength and just try and live and die with it. But we're always going to try and find that margin of error where say a pitch doesn't exactly hit a spot, which is, it's not, it's going to do 70% of the time. Like we're, we're not perfect out there. So we just want to maximize that margin of error to create the most weak contact possible. Going off of that, if you're going and watching a high school pitcher and you see him pitching a certain way, right, attacking the zone, maybe hard in, it just seems like whenever I've watched younger pitchers, they, they always want to stay away. So I'm just curious yeah. as if if you're watching a pitcher and he is just like, you know, throwing inside, like just fearless, like do you make a note of that? Oh, a- absolutely. And that's something that I think a lot of – Guys are scared with the metal bat to throw inside, but that's been the great equalizer for us the last few years. You know, having starters with the ability to establish their fastballs in to set up their their breaking balls moving away from the batter or their you know their off speed, their changeups moving away. Like we have, have done a great job of establishing the inner part of the plate, and it's something that you know if you see that from a young kid, he's able to throw the ball to both sides of the plate with his fastball. Um, you know, and, and spin some form of breaking ball with with quality spin to it, then you're you're really onto something there. Is there a certain uh, velocity that you look for when you're um, looking at a high school pitcher, or is there just certain build, or is it like combination? I, I, they're all all different kind of combinations, but a lot of the time you want to make sure that the mechanics are ironed out. So that's where the the side view comes into play, and we'll go down there definitely after I've seen a guy from behind home plate and really want to hone in on somebody, go from the side um, to make sure the delivery matches up what the eyes are seeing from behind home plate. But yeah, if a guy can be in the upper 80s, the low 90s with a fast flight commands, both sides of the plate. And the biggest thing for me personally is being able to spin a breaking ball. It's, it's hard to teach guys, you know, there are things you can do to improve it, but a lot of the time it's kind of an innate ability. And if you can spin a breaking ball at a young age, that'll, that'll really separate himself in terms of our eyes. Yeah, and I concur on that. I like I was saying earlier, I went on the mound and pitched a little bit in spring training, and I've I've never been able to like really spin a breaking ball. I mean, I if I had Rap Soto out there, I like, get it's probably like a couple hundred RPM. Like it's that. <laughs> but so I, yeah. I the reason why I say that is I totally agree. Like you can't necessarily teach um, that element because I've never been able to spin a good one. Now if if you're in a situation where as you're as a pitching coach you're recruiting. Are are you looking for certain numbers on a rap soto specifically? Not necessarily just rap soto, whether it be the trackman. A lot of these premier events have trackman at the field and you know, some of the numbers you have to take with a grain of salt because they probably haven't been calibrated in a few years, but there's certain numbers that we like to see on the trackman output and also fortunate to have the, the stalker gun with the, the spin rate right in, right in there as well in case we're at a place where they don't have trackman, so yeah, there are definite measurements that really tend to look for and know how a guy can separate himself from the average. Just a few more, few more questions. I know you've been, you know, really gracious with your time, and I know you've been doing a bunch of interviews. But oh, it's all good. All yeah, good. no, I, I appreciate it. But one, my one of my questions is, you know, you've been in professional baseball. You've seen a lot of baseball. Pitching is so mental. The yips, the yips, the yips do happen. I'm just curious if you've ever seen someone have the yips, and are there ways to try to basically like fix it in a sense, or have you seen it be, uh, been able to be fixed? 
Yeah, I, th- I think you know I have I have seen it personally. Won't won't say when, but uh, <laughs> yeah, have seen it personally, and I've seen have seen both sides where a guy's been able to completely come back from it and like it was nothing. You know, it, it took a little over a year to completely get rid of that, but yeah, you know, the, you just try and take as much the mental aspect of throwing away from it. So whether it's just standing next to him and, and tossing him a baseball and just not think, just try and get rid of it as fast as you can. I don't care where it's going. A lot of times just throwing into a net, get him away from you, even throwing to a target, just throwing into a net, just getting the feeling back of, of what they've done in their entire life. For whatever reason, a block is entered into the equation. And, you know, I think it can be, it can be paralyzing, especially if there are people around and watching. So you want to take that guy and, and get him away from eyes, get him away from anything that where he feels embarrassed about and, and just start to kind of square one. And, and a lot of the time it, it's, it's tough to come back from. There are guys that have it, whether it's, you know, maybe it's throwing to a base or maybe it's just in their catch play, but when they get on the mound, they're fine. It, it's such a, such a crazy deal for, for when it enters in, but you know, for each guy, you just have to figure out and, you know, a way to, to reach them. And usually it's starting back at square one and, getting all the the eyes away from them, you know, from watching them actually play catch. So that's what, that's what I've been a part of in the past. Uh, I don't know if that's helped anyone out there, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a fun situation when it does arise. Yeah. It, I was talking to uh, Randy Sullivan now at the Florida baseball ranch. And he was saying that he, like what, one of the ways he helps pitchers is when they do have that issue is to, change the environment what he like what he was saying is like he grab he like tosses him a football and he makes him start like throwing on the run and then they're throwing on the run like on off balance and things like that just to try to trick i guess their mind in a sense i don't know the way he was saying it i i did it did make sense yeah no no question you you want to get their mind off of actually throwing a baseball to a target. So if it's, yeah, if it's throwing a different object, you know, sitting there next to him and toss him a football and then toss him a baseball or toss him whatever it may be or different weighted baseballs. Yeah. That's, those are great ideas. Awesome. Chris, really appreciate your time, man. Patrick, it was a pleasure. And we look forward to doing it again. If, if that's on the table, but you know, wishing you all the best and thank, thank you for taking the time and, and best of luck in, in your spot down there with the Orioles. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Make sure to go subscribe on iTunes so you can stay up to date on the latest trends and techniques being taught in player development. Until next week, hope everyone stays safe.